Well, good morning, IGC. It's good to be here with you this morning. I want to introduce myself. My name is uh, Pastor Brian Suey, and I am the Reformed University Fellowship Campus Pastor to San Jose State. Um, and uh, I, IGC, I love your church. You, if you didn't know, you are a partnering church with our ministry. You pray for our work on campus, and you support us financially. And so I just want to say how thankful I am uh, to be in partnership in the gospel with you. RUF has been just such a real blessing to the students, uh, both in keeping them connected to each other, but helping them to grow in their faith during this pandemic. Um, they've had to apply the truth of the gospel to their lives as they have been surrounded by bad news after bad news after bad news. And in light of that, they've really had to cling to the only good news that they really have in any circumstance, which is their Lord Jesus Christ. I also want to share that um, it has been true that those who have been resistant to the faith um, have made progress in becoming open and hearing about Jesus and, and why he matters, especially at a time like this. Uh, so once again, thank you for your partnership in the gospel. Well, as David said, this morning we get the pleasure of opening God's word concerning and, and listening to him concerning the mystery and the wonder of adoption. The Bible wants you to know that something has happened to you uh, where from now on you get to refer to God and relate to God as our father, our daddy. And so we're going to look at a few different texts, uh, but we're going to start with John 1, 12 through 13, and then Romans 8, 12 through 18. Let's turn now and listen to God's word. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that on this day you would show us your great love as we consider what it means to have you as our adoptive Father. Help us to see you and ourselves in light of your scripture and help us to cast off our former lives that did not know you and relate to you as our Heavenly Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I went to seminary, I worked in the finance department at the parent company of Ugg Boots. Uh, and my manager, uh, who was of Southeast Asian descent, was sharing with me how she had just adopted her daughter from China. And she was thinking, you know, since our complexions are a little bit similar, uh, she was saying that I'm not going to tell my daughter that she was adopted. And I was a young man at the time. I thought, well, that was a little bit weird. But I put it in the category of to each his own. 
Um, and I told the story to my girlfriend, who is now my wife, uh, who is all was also adopted. And she had this really strong reaction telling me, keeping an adoption secret is a huge mistake. Growing up, my wife's Caucasian parents never stopped telling her that her and her sister were adopted from Korea. Uh, Nicole, my wife, told me, I can't think of any good story that begins with, so I found out that I was adopted. The point is, if you were adopted, you need to know. But I can imagine uh, my manager's sort of thinking and rebuttal saying, why does she need to know that she's adopted? What's important is is that she knows that she's my daughter. Think about what happens to people who discover that they are adopted in in adulthood. It sends them on a fact-finding mission as if they've been cheated of knowing something important about their lives. If you've been Christian for any length of time, you have probably learned to see yourself as God's child. But how often are you making sure that you insert the important detail that I am an adopted child of God? Our text and several others um, I'll read are going to show uh, that adopt, uh, that adoption is given special emphasis on how we are to understand our relationship with God. And so let me read again uh, from John. This is John 1.12. But to all who did receive him, that's Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, while the, the word adoption uh, isn't here, I think the concept is clear. Your entry into God's family was not something automatic, but God, through careful planning, sent Jesus Christ to rescue and redeem you. And as you put your faith in Christ, you became part of God's family with all the, the rights, the benefits, and the blessings that this entails. Divine adoption is the lens by which you can live the whole of your Christian life. And in order to see that this morning, we're going to see how adoption first interprets our past, second, resources our present, and thirdly, gives us hope for the future. So we get lost, past, present, future. That's what we're looking at. First, adoption helps you interpret your past. Adoption reminds you to constantly rehearse the context of your salvation. If you become friends with someone who's adopted, eventually you will learn your friend's adoption story. Sometimes there's a lot of information in history. I was born into a very, very poor circumstances. And instead of being aborted, my birth parents gave me up for adoption. Uh, Sometimes there's a lot less information, like uh, I don't know who my birth parents were, but they left me at a firehouse. Sometimes children are conceived in violence or born drug addicted. Some bounced around a bad foster care system. But I don't know anyone who was adopted from a good life situation into an even better life situation. Most adoption stories begin with a tra- with tragic and dire circumstances and end in a loving home and a better future. Your divine adoption is no different. The Bible tells us that before we came into God's family, spiritually, we belonged to a dysfunctional, burdensome, and evil family. Our family hurt us, and we learned from that family to hurt others. And adoption tells us that if God had not intervened, we would have been trapped in a system without knowing and experiencing the genuinely fatherly love of our creator. Now, you and I know many people who are not Christians uh, who don't appear to have dysfunctional lives, or, or maybe you're exploring Christianity, and that really doesn't describe your experience. 
Uh, and it might be helpful for you to, to realize that this description of this dysfunctional spiritual family does not have to be conscious for it to be true. Years ago, uh, an American father described his experience adopting twin boys from the country of Russia. He remembers going to the orphanage and hearing absolute silence. Lots of infants, no sounds. And if you've ever been around a screaming infant, maybe you might be tempted to think, well, what are they doing in Russia? But, but this father, uh, he thought to himself, why aren't these babies crying? And here's the reason. These babies in this orphanage learn that crying wouldn't get them the care that they needed. Those babies were fed and changed on an efficient schedule. If they were extra hungry, they, they didn't get extra food. They would have to wait until it was the scheduled time to eat. If they had a dirty diaper, crying wouldn't have made any difference. They just had to wait until uh, the attendant came to change them. And so these babies just learned to be silent. And when it came time for the twin babies to go home, uh, to uh, their their uh, their American family, he remembers his twin boys reaching for the orphanage. It was all they knew. It was where they were fed, changed, and slept. And the new adoptive father remembers thinking, "My sons, you have no idea what I have waiting for you at home." And so it's only from this vantage point of our divine adoption that we can look at our lives before we put our faith in Christ and realize. We were without hope, without divine love, which every human being needs. St. Augustine said it well when he said of God, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Now, some of you were born uh, into uh, a Christian homes by Christian parents who, who are doing uh, or have done a great job raising you from the very young age to follow Jesus. And adoption has an important insight for you. Those who are adopted as infants have no memory at all of their former family. So they had to learn their adoption story from their loving parents. And so if you are a covenant child, part of your parents teaching you the gospel is them showing you how sinful and broken you and this world are and how Jesus has rescued us by dying on the cross and rising again from the dead. And that's why my son or daughter we worship Jesus and we follow him and trust him. Adoption makes us thankful as we consider the misery of our old spiritual family um, and the peace and happiness of our new adopted family. The Bible also tells you God's motive in adopting you. One of the questions that adopted children must get answered is, why did you adopt me? And behind that question is, did you really want me? If there is even a hint of hesitation in your answer of, yes, we wanted you, damage can be done. And of course, there's nothing more cruel than saying, if we could have had our own biological children, we would not have wanted you. Throughout the Bible, God's people have always been a little bit insecure, sometimes a lot of bit insecure, of God's motives and if God really loves them and if he will be faithful to them. And scripture tells us that divine adoption was no mistake nor was it a plan B. David already read this, but I'll read it again. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, 
he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? Your adoption was planned before the foundation of the world. Did you hear why God adopted you? It was in love that he adopted you. By God setting his love upon you, he eliminates the possibility that you could earn his love. Your adoption is a way to understand God's grace. The doctrine of adoption tells you that when the Father sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die on the cross, you can know that Christ's death was intimate and personal. He knew you. Christ was sent by the definite plan of God to redeem you, and it was worth it to Jesus to bring you into the family of God. If you are a Christian, you have an adoption story, uh, and it began in tragedy and ended with blessing and glory. Remember that when you make friends in this world, if people are really going to get to know you as a friend, you are going to need to tell your divine adoption story. Uh, You'll need to share that story and that history, and may you be ready and be eager to tell it. Uh, It would have been far and away enough for us if all the blessings of of our adoption were in the past. But God, being the gracious God he is, gives us gifts for the present that are connected to our adoption. So adoption gives you resources for the present. That's the second point. Uh, let's read again from Romans eight twelve through 15. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The first blessing we see uh, for the present is the Holy Spirit. Uh, Every believer has the Holy Spirit, and it is the proof that we belong to God. In the 80s, some parents who adopted internationally Either they or their adoption agency didn't fill out their paperwork correctly, and their adopted child's status was that of an illegal uh, immigrant. When the government found out some of these children were deported, can you imagine the horror of being deported to a country you have no connection to? Proof is incredibly valuable and important. Our proof is the Holy Spirit. Some have tried to demonstrate the proof of the Holy Spirit is uh, the manifestation of certain gifts. Uh, Others have indicated that it's something that you feel or some power you exert. Um, Our text simply says, do you see God as your father, as your daddy? Is that the relationship that you have with God? That's the proof. In last week's sermon, Michael helpfully said that when people encountered God many times in the Bible, Uh, Instead of it being this wonderful experience, it was this awful and terrifying experience. You remember from last week's sermon, Peter, the fisherman, he realizes who Jesus is, and his reaction is, away from me, Jesus. I am a sinful man. Um, and, And that, I love that point. And the God of the universe is the only one who is qualified to look at our lives and judge us rightly according to all our sins that we've committed against him. And our text is telling us that when you receive the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption, you no longer interact with God as a judge. The reason being 
that the penalty of your sins has been paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. There is no more judgment for you except for the judgment that you are righteous in his sight. The Holy Spirit applies this truth to your heart. And now instead of engaging the God, God as the universe's judge, which he rightly is, we engage him as our heavenly father, our daddy. The Holy Spirit makes you see God uh, with the intimacy of a good, good father. And this reality changes how we pray. And so the second uh, present benefit is the Holy Spirit helps us to pray. I want to speak to those of you who are timid in your prayers. Uh, maybe you've had thoughts like this. Well, I don't, I don't know what to say. Um, I don't have anything meaningful to say to God. Or my prayers just sound dumb or something like that. When Paul says that the Holy Spirit causes us to call out Abba, Father, it means we have this special relationship with God as dad or daddy, or in my family, because I'm from Chinese, a Chinese background, uh, my son calls me Baba. Um, now, uh, confession time, I'm not naturally a little kid person. I don't find the babbling of other people's babies particularly exciting or engaging or meaningful. But when my son babbled or grunted, I paid special attention to him. I took special care to teach him new words. And even when they came out all funny and mispronounced or weird, I was so glad at his progress. I loved my son's babblings and his grunts because he was babbling to me. Your heavenly father loves your prayers. He is glad that you come to him and cry to him. And the Holy Spirit's work is to drive you to him when you feel that need. When we cry, Abba, Father, I need you. He is there listening. When we cry, Abba, Father, I'm sorry. I need forgiveness. He is there with forgiveness and love. When we cry, Abba, Father, I'm hurting. There he is with comfort. The testimony of scripture is categorically against revealing God as apathetic, disappointed, or harsh when you come to him in prayer. And so go, family, to your Abba Father. And may this image encourage you to pray without ceasing. Pray all the time, knowing that he loves to hear your voice. The last and present benefit we'll consider today is that adoption gives you a new name. Romans 8, 16 through 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. Now, we're going to talk about uh, our future inheritance as heirs in just a little bit, but there are present considerations about what it means to be an heir of God. In order for you to be a true and legitimate heir of God, you need to bear his name. Adoption is about giving you that name and helping you to grow up in that name. Do you know when God placed his name on you? Uh, you might not have remembered it, but it was actually at your baptism. And I want to be crystal clear uh, here, whether you were baptized as an infant or baptized as a converted adult, Christian baptism is a naming ceremony. In Matthew 28, 19, it says this, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And in baptism, the one name of the triune God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is placed upon you. And so what's the big deal about a name? Um, I don't think there's a clearer illustration of the power of a name uh, than an adoption. For my uh, two-year-old son, my two-year-old son's name when he was in Korea was Yoo Jin Wan. 
and that's what his foster mother called him. And everything about that name defined his life in Korea. Uh, my son's uh, my son's name was Eugene Wan until the moment that Nicole and I took custody of him, and he became Archer Clyde Suey. And after that transition, as parents, we began the hard work of helping Archer learn his new culture, his new identity, his new language, and even his new cuisine. Uh, my son's paperwork said that one of his favorite foods was crab. Now, I love crab, but it's kind of a special occasion food. And while he lost crab as part of his regular diet, he gained all the food that the Bay Area has to offer. In the same way, through faith in Christ, you and your family have received a new name. And that name defines everything about who you are and how you live. In the Bible, sometimes you will come across lists of sins, like this one I'm going to read from Galatians 5. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And maybe you see some of your own struggles in this list um, of sins, and maybe you've uh, felt this when you read those lists in, in your Bible reading, you go, oh, judgmental, or I thought Christianity was all about grace, and now you're coming out with me with all these rules that I'm not allowed to do. Well, when you begin to feel condemned or even excluded, I want you to remember that you've been adopted into the family of God. That list describes uh, life under your old name and your old family. If you keep reading in Galatians, same chapter, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit, which is the same spirit of adoption, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The beauty of God using adoption as a metaphor for our relationship with him is that adoption assumes that you've been transferred into a new family, and that means that you have to learn to grow into your new family. God does not expect you to come into the family already knowing everything about following God. But as a good father, he will show you what it means to bear his name. He will teach you. He will encourage you. He will give you examples of how to celebrate, and he will celebrate your progress until the day of your inheritance. You and I are well-resourced as adopted children of God. Now, all that we've talked about so far in adoption only makes sense if adoption says something about our future. So we're moving on to our third point. Adoption gives us hope for the future. Let's turn back to Romans 8, this time 16 through 18. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. In Paul's world, the pagan, Roman, pagan Rome's view of adoption was actually quite coldly all about future inheritance, money, and a glorious name. The adoption of infants was actually quite rare, if not non-existent. The wealthy would never adopt an infant because they didn't know who this infant would turn out to be. Uh, 
they would most certainly adopt a full-grown male who had proven himself worthy of carrying on his great name and manage his great properties. One scholar explained adoption this way in the ancient world. Imagine that a wealthy or wise king had 10 sons, and these 10 sons were just awful. None of them had the constitution or the character and honor to adequately rule his kingdom. That king could and probably would pursue adoption. And while this clearly isn't our practice now, this view of adoption is deeply meaningful for what it means to be adopted by God. It tells us what position we as adopted sons have in the family. A friend of and mentor of mine uh, was adopted in the 60s into a family that already had three biological daughters. And his parents did everything right, welcoming their adopted son. But sometimes these three sisters, when the, their parents weren't looking, um, teased their, their brother. Uh, he was the adopted son. They highlighted the fact that he, he was, as, as if they were saying that he's not the real son. He's sort of a second class son um, and last in the family. Divine adoption says just the opposite. Paul is trying to tell us that because of what Jesus has done for you, you have been moved to the very first position in the family, the very same spot as Jesus Christ himself. That's why our text calls us fellow or co-heirs with Christ. Everything promised to Jesus will be yours. Now, what does God promise to Jesus? First, God promised him a resurrected new body. He would not let his body see decay. Jesus got that body, and that means with complete certainty that if you are a Christian, if you're trusting in Jesus, you will receive a new and resurrected body. And that body will live in the promised new heavens and new earth where, the, where there will be no sorrow or sickness or pain or death. There will be no poverty, no racism or injustice ever. You and I are living in a pandemic. A disease is challenging enough to deal with, but we also experience the ripples the fear, the financial instability, the racism sometimes, the anger and the hatred. And so please don't let this observation pass you by, uh, that in this pandemic, we see certainly that this world, this present one, does not hold the answers to true and lasting joy, happiness, and peace. It has been marred by sin, and Christians live for the world to come. Or let me put it more accurately, we live today as people who have been promised a better world to come. A wrong conclusion would be to think that this life has no meaning because the, only the next one matters. Adoption actually keeps you from ever thinking this way. In our former family, our inheritance was God's wrath, eternal separation from the very fountain of life and goodness, hell, the lake of fire, which burns for an eternity. If that is what you had to look forward to, I could see you saying something like, uh, well, if that's the end of me, then life is pointless. Um, I don't see any reason to keep on going. Uh, but then you were brought in a, into God's family by adoption, and we were promised a wonderful inheritance. You are promised a resurrected body, and that means you will live uh, with an eternal peace and closeness with God forever. The, that is the Bible's definition of paradise, a world which you have never experienced which is unmarred by sin. That is what is promised to you. And with this outlook, instead of doing nothing, we actually prepare for the world to come. The best way I can illustrate this is actually to think about high school sports. 
Um, so imagine yourself, you're, you're maybe a sophomore, or maybe a really talented freshman. And so after working incredibly hard at junior varsity, in the middle of your season, your coach says, you know what? I'm going to promote you to varsity next year. That news does not make you stop going to practice and stop showing up to JV games because they, quote, don't mean anything. You actually strive harder in your preparation. In this life, we have a hope of the world to come. And so we prepare for it by learning to live and walk and do as Jesus did when he was on earth. And then Paul says something very interesting. He says, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Some have wrongfully interpreted this sentence as saying something like, well, it's only the Christians who suffer that get God's inheritance or at least get God's good inheritance. So if you're a Christian that never became a missionary to a dangerous country, then there's no real good inheritance for you, which as an American Christian who lives with with religious freedom, that can be kind of alarming. And so if God is calling you here, if God is calling you to be a missionary in a dangerous land, that is well and good. But please don't be a missionary who undercuts God's grace by making his grace a transactional deal. And so what does Paul mean? The best way I can illustrate this is to take a look at what took place when when Nicole and I took custody of my son, Archer. We met at the Korean Adoption Agency. And after spending a little bit of time with Archer's foster mother, we took a photo and headed down to this van that had, had been prepared for us to take us back to our hotel. We were with another couple, and so four adults, two adopted children got into this van. Both children could still see their foster mothers. And then the social worker told us, when this van door closes, they will cry. And as that van door slowly moved along the track, click, and then both children immediately burst into this huge tantrum. Was my son Archer suffering? He sure was. But he wasn't suffering alone. He had his mom and dad holding him, comforting him, putting chocolate on his pacifier, loving him. Following Jesus means a lifetime of different van doors closing. And every time it happens, we cry and we freak out. If you follow Jesus, it will mean that you can't do what you want all the time. And opportunities uh, will be gone and some hopes and dreams and comforts will be dashed. In my own life, um, the more closely I followed Jesus, the worse my relationship got with my own birth mother. Matthew 10, when Jesus says that I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword to put division within a household is a true reality in my life. And I'm certain that you all have your own stories of how following Jesus really did lead to suffering. And if you can't think of any, my advice is just live longer as a Christian. You don't need to manufacture suffering. It will happen. Uh, Jesus was the most righteous and godly man that ever lived, and the world hated him. And he suffered because of that righteousness. As your life emulates Jesus, you will follow in his suffering. Our final verse says, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Friends, we have spent a lot of time this morning uh, covering the benefits of the gospel. All the benefits of the gospel lead us to one place, the presence of our triune God. He has many gifts, but we must remember that these gifts come from him. The Father planned our salvation. The Son accomplished our redemption. 
and the Spirit applied that truth to our lives. These three are one God, and you um, have uh, and you have this God now. And yet, in the world to come, you will have God in an even more intimate way, more intimate than you can possibly imagine. We will live with Jesus in the presence of our Father, and we will be still moved by the power and indwelling of the Spirit. We will be whole and complete, and this is why we persevere in this life through any circumstance. We may suffer, and when we do, we cry. But eventually, you have to stop looking at that closed van door and look up to see your Father in heaven and know that he is holding you. And so, brothers and sisters, may you rely on your adoption and let that remind you of God's faithfulness in the past. May God's adoption give you everything you need for the present. And may you look for with eager expectation the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you that in this short time, we've been able to gaze intimately at the wonder of adoption. We pray that you would help us to think of ourselves not only as children, but your adopted sons in the kingdom. And let us glory in all the benefits that that brings. And may it always bring us into closer relationship with you, that we may experience your intimacy now as we prepare for it in a more deep and full way when you establish your kingdom in the new heavens and the new earth. Be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.